Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey there, it's Tommy from Ops Analytica. Hey, we've all heard the saying, garbage in, garbage out. And that is especially true when it comes to the data that you're collecting from your employees and your franchisees. Some of the data is accurate. You have good, thoughtful people working on your team, and some of the data is not. The problem is, how do you determine the good data from the bad data? And more importantly, how do you get the bad data out of there so you're not basing your time and your analysis and your decisions on the garbage? Well, Ops Analytica has solved that for you with our new data accuracy scoring algorithm. Within this algorithm, we can determine which data is good, which data is bad. And when you get into the dashboards, you are literally one click away from filtering out all the garbage and focusing all your attention and energy on analyzing the good data. It's a game changer for anybody who who believes in data-driven decision-making. So please check us out at opsanalytica.com and get a demo today. Hey, Dare Order Up Show, it's Tommy, and I am back with another interview. Please welcome to the show, Todd Woods. How you doing, Todd? Tommy, good to be with you. How you been, my man? It's good. We haven't talked in a while, um, but I'm glad to get you on the show finally. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm honored to be in your show on your show and uh, hope to add a lot of value uh, of just what I've been through over the years for your listeners so that uh, I can be productive. So happy oh, to be I here. Appreciate it. Yeah. So the deal with the show is this. We always go through and ask the same five questions. And let's just get to question number one, because it's my favorite one. Uh, explain what you do today, Todd, but then take us through your career progression from that first job until where you are now. Absolutely. Uh, happy to do that. So right now I currently own a company called Iceberg Drive-In, and this is based in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, I was born and raised here and, and moved to Phoenix, as, as, you'll, as you'll hear in a second. But uh, I purchased this store. It was an existing location uh, of a Utah brand that's been around since 1960. So <laughs> I was born in 67. So this is an old uh, and established concept. There's a location here uh, in Harriman, Utah that the owners were burned out. They owned it for about 13 years and wanted to get out of it. I happened to be doing some marketing consulting for the corporate uh, iceberg and they needed to get out. And I saw opportunity and as all entrepreneurs, I jumped on the opportunity, decided to take the risk uh, where the company was actually making a little bit of money, but barely, barely making it because they were not owner operators. So I, I jumped in and uh, over the last two and a half years, uh, just made this thing really sing, which is what I do. That's what I've learned to do over the years is kind of turn around companies uh, that are existing. The exciting thing about this business is we are known for our famous thick shakes. They're above the rim shakes. They're massive. We do uh, hand cut uh, breaded onion rings and fried zucchini sticks, and also have a full lineup menu of burgers and sandwiches, but we're mostly known for our shakes. So that's what I'm currently doing now. Uh, when I jumped in, there was a major need for two things. Number one, I checked out the Google reviews and they were not great. So I focused on those things and looked at the negatives and the things that we needed to improve on. And it all came down to service. As you know, in the service business, if you don't have service, you don't have business, right, Tommy? So 
Are you still there? Are we good? Oh, yeah, I'm here, dude. I was muted so that you could. Oh, talk, cool. Stay, okay, cool, <laughs> man. Good, good, good. So, um, I jumped in and first focused on the team. I made sure that we had the right players, the right employees, the right team members. And instead of just being a fast food joint, uh, I wanted to make it an experience like, like it has been since 1960, where people come, a lot of families come, people come on dates. It's a great hangout spot. And we have indoor seating as well as a drive-through. So I got the team going on, on just the exceptional service side of things. It was important that before we start driving in new business, as in with any company, we've got to get the house in order. So I spent several months uh, just kind of relaying the foundation of what we need to be doing, the basics of customer service and how we make guests feel uh, that they want to come back before they even leave the drive-through. And that's really what our goal is. You know, we want them to have such a great experience that they actually are looking forward to their next visit before they even take a bite of their first shake or, uh, or hamburger. So we did that, got a great team in place. Uh, some existing, uh, about 20% of the staff was invited to find a job elsewhere, so to speak, uh, brought on some fresh players and we jumped in. Then I turned on the marketing switch, which uh, I have found that that neighborhood marketing, uh, even in this day of, of online and social presence, although that's important, the getting involved with the high schools, the middle schools, the elementary schools, the businesses, just uh, we just started doing a blitz of getting engaged and supporting the community the best we could. The most exciting thing is, Tommy, is over the last two and a half years, we've been able to grow this thing, an existing location, mind you, that was doing the same gross amount for the past, the, the previous five years. We have grown our top line 63%, and that includes the year during COVID. So we're very blessed, and uh, I feel like we're, we're nailing it, and, and we're hitting everything we need to hit. So... That's what I'm currently doing with that. And on, uh, as well as owning this restaurant, uh, I do restaurant consulting and marketing consulting for restaurants, QSR, and actually have an online training course I'll be talking about a little bit later in a different question. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, first of all, like I, I had never heard of Iceberg Drive-In just because it is a Utah brand and I don't, I've only spent very limited amount of time in Utah. But I will tell you that those shakes look amazing when he says above the rim it looks almost like i want to say like a, i want to say a frosty that's not the right word uh almost like um it doesn't look like a milkshake it looks like it's like scooped ice cream it's an inch above the rim of the cup which is amazing and um and that's also super cool that like because here's the thing right and and i think you kind of touched on it a little bit with what you're saying like the the restaurant industry is not it's not easy but it's also not complicated right right like but it's all about execution every single guest they come in and you execute the best you can and that's how you grow the business right because even if you had put all that time and energy into the local store marketing if you weren't executing first, it would not have mattered. And like, I wrote a blog on this. It's called Marketing Yourself Off a Cliff. And Quiznos were the, at Quiznos, we were the kings of that because we would do these massive national promotions, gross two for one prime rib, all this stuff. But the stores weren't executing. 
And so all we did was speed up our own demise because right. we were getting people to come in at, a, at an interval that wasn't normal for them and they were having bad experiences. And so therefore we just sped up going out of business basically for a lot of those stores. You know, that's so rough. Yeah. No, I understand that concept. Also, it, it uh, you're absolutely right. It's all about having having the experience ready to go to deliver to those first time customers, because as we drive business in, if we're not ready for it, um, it's a, it, you lose a lot of money and goodwill. And it can, like you said, lead to a demise. Yeah. And I, I do think it's probably one of the biggest issues in the restaurant industry today. I believe it across the entire industry is everybody is focusing on how do I get more sales in here? How do I get more sales in here? How do I get more sales in here? And I get it. Sales are an important part of obviously operating a business. Like I'm not an idiot when I, you know, I'm not ignorant to that fact, but you know, average customer service for the QSR industry, there's only one chain that's in the eighties. Everybody else is in the seventies, right? Yeah. Right. And everybody's so focused on winning that new customer. Right. But the best thing you can do for yourself is to treat your current customer, which you already have, make their experience golden and then they will come back and then they will be your marketing engine. You know, that's 100 percent true, Tommy. You know, um, one of the concepts that I teach and that I that I execute on right in any business that I'm doing is marketing from the inside out basically is what putting a name on what you just described because we take our, our regular customers and continue to wow them they become the word of mouth and that's exactly what happened to lead to that 63 percent growth because our, our current customers we made sure they were solid and happy we we installed an, um, a loyalty program where they're earning points you know most people have a loyalty program now yeah. and reward them for their frequency and that's key. And our Google reviews have, have become much, much better. And, and then it just, it, it becomes its own machine. Uh, we need to get people marketing for us. And that's yes. done through an exceptional customer experience each and every time. And when there is a problem, because there always is, uh, one customer is going to be unhappy about one particular thing occasionally. That's just the business. But the way we handle those problems and those challenges and win those customers back is what continues to feed that awesome word of mouth, right? Absolutely. And I mean, like, you know, and this doesn't happen in every job, but I was at a, I was at a, a PF Chang's in Tyson's Corner, Virginia in 2001. And we, and I got there and they were like, okay, we are going to focus. We're going back to like, they had kind of drifted away from like the kind of core Chang's values, if you will. Uh -huh. And so then we went back to four, like they were going six table stations, eight table stations, you know, just like just being lazy kind of. And yeah. we got back to the core values, four table stations, really started doing pre-shift meetings, focused on customer satisfaction. And we added $80,000 a week in sales over wow. the course of a year, just focusing on, you know, and just getting back to the basics and it's just like what you said too you added 63 percent return i mean new business just by just by caring and taking care of the customers and 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 it's not just the customer service right 
it's every part of the experience. Like if you're not doing your prep list, if you're not doing your bathroom check, if you're not using a checklist to open and close the location um, and just doing all the like blocking and tackling things that aren't sexy, but are, are like super necessary for running a great business. If you don't do those things, then you have no shot of taking care of your customer. It's just a fluke. But when you, when you do the blocking and tackling, then guess what happens? You know, you just up the amount of easy, good on brand experiences. That percentage just goes up every day, you know? Exactly. And, uh, you know, two things you hit that, that I just want to emphasize that you're absolutely spot on customer service. We define customer service here as not just the customer interaction, but the people making the shakes need to make those shakes perfectly, the exact recipe each and every time because they're handmade shakes, they're hand blended each time. Yeah. And so they need to be they need to be done perfectly each time. The the onion rings need to be perfect. The the burgers need to be perfect. And so I'm you know having team meetings and just re-emphasizing to everybody that service isn't just the cashiers and, and the drive-through window, it's every single person in the business uh is a part of that and that, that that's important and and go ahead oh no but just to tag on to that it's the floor being clean it's a clean not sticky table it's paper towels in the bathroom you know what i mean exactly that that was the next point that i was going to hit on too you're exactly right so having that checklist on an ipad where you're able to go in and and make sure that like our rest restroom cleans or restroom checks every 15 minutes uh at least or or when the customer leaves our cashiers are trained to go in there and make sure it's clean and it's so funny tommy because you hear how important it is to have a clean restroom and people will judge your business on on the cleanliness of your restroom and i have heard that time and time again over the years and especially recently in the last few years they're like yeah. you know since you took this place over the floors are clean um it doesn't seem messy and dirty the bathrooms are immaculate every single time i go in and that's because we have checklists and we have have reminders on those checklists hitting us up every time and reminding us what we need to be doing, what we need to be checking to keep everything fresh. Yeah. And yeah, that is, uh, it, it's so, it, it is, it's like everybody just so focused on sales, man. Everything's about sales. Got to do this new marketing. Gotta do, and I know, you know, got to do this, got to do that. Got to get this new portal in this new platform and all these things. And it just comes down to running a restaurant is hard because there's a thousand details you have to manage. But yeah. It's not complicated. Right. And, and it, and it comes from the, it's at the store level. It comes from the GM and the owner and that at the chain level, it comes from just building a culture on the above store side of excellence that, exactly. you know, you work in a restaurant. If you don't like, you know, you do the same thing over and over again, like take pride in consistency, you know, like exactly. And you know what happens, Tommy? I don't know if you've, if you'd agree on this, uh, but over the years, it's, it's human nature to get burned out or to get in what I call um, the right. comfort zone, the comfort zone, right? You see that all the time, right? That can come from an owner, from a GM uh, where, not necessarily burnout, but it's like, oh yeah, I've got this down. So I, I teach my employees from the very first day. I say, look, you're going into this business, QSR restaurant, 
uh, whatever type of place people have. This is one of the hardest jobs. These I have a lot of young people. This is one of the hardest jobs you'll ever have, but it's also one of the, the easiest to master and do well. And I, I generally will have, you know, every three months I'm meeting with an employee and going over, uh, you know, an employee review and talking about it. And, then, and my question to them always starts out with this, Tommy. Hey, on a scale from one to 10, where are you performing right now? You'd be amazed at how many people are, number one, honest, but number two, they come in at like a six or a seven. And, yeah. and these are guys that are supposed to be my best, best people, you know? And I'm like, Dave, th this happened three days ago. I'm like, Dave, what, what is it going to take to get you from a seven to a 10? What, what do you need to improve on? What do you think? And I always let them kind of point out their own follies, you know, and, and what they're not, not executing on. And if they don't hit the right ones, I just kind of add it in there and then just say, look, you know, I mean, you want more money, you want, uh, want more job security, let's get that up. And I'm always hitting it with a positive attitude and just like a, like a coach for them, like, Hey, you know, let's do this together. Let me help you with that. And then when I see them and they're talking and, and they're doing and executing on what they needed to work on, there's always that follow-up with them. Because when I get with people and, and I explain this in those discussions, hey, Dave, look, this is human nature. You, you came on, you've been here six months, about month, you know, your first four months, you're just like climbing and climbing, getting better and better and better. But then you reach the comfort zone and this is a dangerous place to, to play. You know, you don't want to be playing in this space because um, it's just we, we can't be comfortable or else we're not we're not exceeding expectations. And um, I just pointed out to them. They're like, yeah, I think you're kind of right. I just so, you know, I'll get them in cross training in a different area, maybe move a, a kitchen guy to the shake room. And and sometimes that changes things up for them and gives them a little bit uh, fresh excitement. But we got to well, stay on them all the time. They don't, people don't mean to get lazy or complacent or, or in that comfort zone. It just happens, Tommy, it happens. And, and that's where a good GM, good shift leads and, and a good ownership comes in and reminds them constantly every day, every shift. Well, and it's about having a culture of excellence, right? Yeah. Yep. And like, here's the thing too. And I, and I've been saying this a lot in the podcast recently, but I, I you know, I don't know. I don't know what your AUVs are, you know, and you don't have to say if you don't want to. It's, it's 1250. Good, They're about 1250. Uh, 12,500 a day. No, no. Our AUV is $12.50, you know, per, oh. per customer. Got it. Yeah. Okay. No, but I'm like, you like, you know, how like people will kind of go, Oh, like you work at McDonald's. Like there's like a negative connotation to that. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yep. you're a waiter or oh, yep. you're a fry cook. Ooh, gross. Like, you know, yeah. And, and we've got to, we've got to, in the industry, instill pride in, exactly. in, in these jobs. These aren't like low end garbage jobs. Restaurants make up like, I don't know what the industry is. It's like, it's like $700 billion industry. You it's know what huge. I mean? Like, it's huge. We're bigger, like, you know, like revenue wise, like some of these companies are bigger than like some of the big companies that you think are so cool. You know what yeah. I mean? Exactly. Right. Like the GEs or what, whatever it is. No. So, yeah. so you hit on something really important that culture that we cultivate daily and hourly is, is critical. So um, I was a lot of times what I do when I'm interviewing a new team member and uh, you know, I, I like to, I give some people their first jobs and I'll tell you why uh, when I give you my history of how I started out, but 
I like to hire people, you know, I'll take a chance on someone where it's their first job because I can teach them the proper way to work. They don't bring bad habits from another fast food business that's slogging it. That's just not not shooting for that excellence. And what I'll do is, is if one of my uh, current employees walks by while I'm doing that interview, I'll, I'll call them over. And Tammy, in this example, three weeks ago, I said, Tammy, come uh, come meet this person I'm interviewing. Um, what would you say about this job? Uh, and why have you been here, you know, two and a half years? And she says, you know, people think it's fast food, but Iceberg is the least fast food company there is. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, people think it's fast food, but it, it's not a fast food environment. It's not a fast food culture. It's like everyone here, it loves working here, whether they're cooking fries, making shakes, you know, sweeping up the parking lot because of that culture that we're creating. And we co-created. I'm not the guy that says I created this culture. I certainly led the creation of the culture, which any good leader does. But but I get the team involved in it. And, and, and it's just funny. So we, we kind of make the joke that it's the least fast food, uh, fast food. Yeah, that's what it is. The least fast food, fast food. And that speaks volumes from an employee. Yeah. And I mean, people have to see, too, which might be my next point with the culture at the restaurant is they have to see a career path, right? Yeah. Like that this, cause I know a guy I met it. Well, I never met him. I met his son. We cooked, we cooked together at a restaurant, but this guy had started off flipping burgers in the sixties and when, and this would have been the early nineties, but this guy owned like 16 McDonald's. He had it'd been at McDonald's his whole career was a burger flipper right wow. in the sixties and then ended up becoming a district manager and then a franchisee and then kept buying up stores and went, and this would have been early nineties. I was in college, but he was selling that those 16 stores for like the time, like 15 to $20 million. You know what wow. I mean? Like, and so, um, you know, the restaurant industry is just an industry where you can make great money and, and you can show these people that there's a career here and, you know, and the thing that's cool about the restaurant industry, too, is if you did see the CEO of McDonald's and there was trash in the restaurant, he'd pick it up and throw it away because that's the business we're in. You know what I mean? Yep. And so, like, making fries isn't beneath you. Making fries is a high contribution margin item that people love, you know? Right, like, right. Exactly. I was at so, church yesterday. To, I was at church yesterday, Tommy, and I had, had a, a guy say to me, dude. I don't know what you do with your fries, but they are the best fries I've ever had. I mean, people, people, French fries are a big deal. Any, anything that we're serving is a big deal and people talk about it. It's, I I got in my car and I was just blown away and, and I just had a huge sense of joy and pride. That's awesome. Um, Okay. Let's get a question. So, so question number one was your career path. So we know what you're doing today. Do you want to go through your history real quick or do you want to yeah, let me, just move on to number two? Um, let's 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 jump into the history and then we can circle back to that. Uh, but I, I don't want to hit on one more thing that's critical. You right. talked about a career path. Now, a lot of people get in fast food and, you know, for a lot of my employees, you know, it's a high school job, a college job. And, and I know it's not a career for them, but I always mention sure. everybody, hey, if if this is not a career for you, long-term, I want to make this the best job you've ever had. Meaning where you feel like you're contributing the most, where you can look back and and I've actually helped teach you life skills and taught you things that you'll be able to use in other jobs and whatever career you end up in. For those of you that are interested in a career path, um, in in one of my businesses, uh, 
back in Phoenix, which I'll talk about in a minute. I had two employees. One of them started as a smoothie maker and ended up being with the company 11 years, rose to a shift lead, to a general manager. And another one of these young women ended up being a district manager. And after 16 years, I'm not involved in the business anymore, still at the company, Tommy. So the I take so much pride in that because, you know, I feel like I help them develop the skills to go on and, and have a career. So anyway, let's, if you're ready, let's jump into the, to the history. So yeah, go for it. Yeah. So I started washing dishes at a restaurant when I was 12 years old. I don't know how I've talked to my parents since then and said, how is it a, that you allowed me to do that at such a young age? It was a, it's called log Haven, a, a restaurant here up one of the canyons. Uh, and, the other thing is, is is how these people even hired me legally. I had a friend that worked there and he said, Hey, do you need a job? And I said, yeah, because I mean, before that I was doing anything. I was selling stuff at school, not drugs, but just yeah. anything I could do Tommy to make money because I was money driven when I was young. Like most people wanted to buy my own car, started washing dishes at log Haven. That was my first, first job there. Then uh, throughout high school worked in fast food places uh, Chuck E. Cheese, I'm sure you've heard of. Um, that's one I like to look back and laugh on. I got to dress up as Chuck E. Cheese, which kind of sucked because everyone's pulling my tail. And and yeah. uh, but but I worked up to a bus boy and then a, and then a cook, and just started that career path. Went to college, graduated from uh, University of Utah, and wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Uh, was a financial advisor for four years. And I just knew that I wanted to own my own business someday. And so I talked to uh, just my father-in-law was a great mentor for me because he he's a really good businessman. And even though he was an attorney full-time, he always had businesses on the side and that always intrigued me. So uh, I found a business and back then it was called Zuka Juice, Z-U-K-A. And it was in the Inner Mountain West. It was a smoothie company before smoothie companies were really a thing. I don't know if you remembered that, and in, in, uh, there were some in Colorado as well. Anyway, we signed up to be uh, to to uh, to do five stores, so area developers of five Zuka Juice stores, which is the equivalent of a of a Jamba Juice. So I moved my family, my wife and kids. I uh, had four kids at the time. Moved 850 miles away down to Phoenix, and decided that hey, I'm I'm going to be you know get my own business and own smoothie stores. So we moved down there over the next few months, we pulled it all together and, and uh, we opened up our first, first store. And when we had that grand opening, Tommy, I expected lines out the door because every other smoothie shop that I saw of this same brand at the time had lines out the door, even on a rainy night, but we opened up our doors and nothing happened. No customers, maybe just a couple of them. And I thought, how is it possible that in Utah, in colder weather, they've got lines out the door during the busy times. I'm in 110 degree weather, Tommy, and the lines were, were how is it they weren't going around the block? It just blew me away. So we opened up a second store as part of our plan. And I thought, well, you know, it's only four miles away. That'll help build the brand. And that didn't work so well either. So here we were over half a million dollars uh, into these first two stores. We were shoveling money in just to make payroll, just to keep our vendors happy. I had to go on to COD um, 
and it was it, it was it was brutal. Um, so during that time, Jamba Juice, which most people know at least on the West Coast and uh, and in some other parts of the country, Jamba Juice acquired Zuka Juice. Each each company had 125 stores ish each, and within 30 days, Tommy, any kind of loyalty. Uh, this was probably about a year and a half into it. Any kind of loyalty that we had started, uh, we lost 30% of our business when we switched to Jamba Juice, which was weird because Jamba Juice is still around today, right? Yeah. But um, so that was the other challenge. So I was, you know, losing money, shoveling money in. We had to change brands within a 30-day period. It was quick. Uh, lost some of our customers because Jamba smoothies were healthier than the ones we were serving and people could taste the difference. And some of them dropped off about 30%. But I decided that I wasn't going to fail, Tommy. I mean, that's just not what I signed up for, bro. So um, we opened up a third third one, which opened up as a Jamba Juice. And we finally, things started finally happening once I reached out I think I'm into my war story, bro. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I know that's one of the questions, but but this really this really is. In fact, it bring brings up some some uh, crazy times. But we opened up a third location, but I still wasn't seeing it. I, I was I was looking everywhere. I was talking to everyone I could talk to. That's the way I am. It's like, hey, this isn't working. I'd find successful restaurants, successful QSRs, talk to the owner and say, you know, what am I missing here? I finally found a book called Guerrilla Marketing. Yeah. And you and I know that because of our it kind of ages us a little bit. But back in the 80s, the original guerrilla marketing brand spelled guerrilla like guerrilla warfare. I read read that book in one sitting, Tommy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am I'm not doing what I need to be doing. And it talks all about local store marketing and how to market on a shoestring budget. So I mastered guerrilla marketing. So what ended up happening was we opened up stores four and five. And I had this, this nice, nice package of five stores. And we finally, it's finally clicked in. And so much so that we not only were doing what the average Jamba Juice was. So out of, you know, 200, it's about 400 stores by that time, out of about 400 stores, the average was growing at 6% year over year. We were growing our five stores at 12%, which was double that of the company average. So I finally ended up um, after about eight or nine years, Tommy, with the five locations doing $3.4 million a year in smoothies, which wow. was a cash cow. It was finally, I, I finally reached the dream. It was amazing. I loved it. So um, at that point, uh, I had some some people come to me and wanted to, I thought five stores, not enough for me. I want to get some partners. I want to blow out the rest of the Phoenix market. And went to corporate. They said, hey, if you can come up with the money and the infrastructure to do 20 more stores, we'll let you do it. So they said, you need to do it within six months. Tommy, I found within three months, I found a partner of a group that had money to put in $8 million to build out another 20, 20 stores. And I brought it to the big brass. And like things happen sometimes. They flipped on me and decided they wanted to make it a corporate market, bro. Can you believe that? Mm. After all the work I put in, the blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, that's the whole story in itself, how that, that went down. But the short of it is, 
the group that I was going to raise money with decided the only way to get into Jamba Juice was to buy existing stores. And so uh, they were hell bent on buying my five locations. And uh, over about a year period, we struck a deal and I sold those and lived the franchise dream or the American dream of selling my company for just over three million bucks. That was uh, so that was awesome. So at th that point, I decided I want to go share with the world what I learned the hard way and save people, uh, you know, the blood, sweat, tears and all the on all the cash lost in those first few years. So I looked up Jay Conrad Levinson, who was the original author of the Gorilla Marketing book series. And uh, he and I co-authored a book called Gorilla Marketing for Franchisees and Licensees, 125 Proven Strategies and Tools to Grow Your Business. So that was one of the highlights of my life, Tommy, being able to co-author a book with, with uh, this giant of a man who, who was known at that time as one of the best marketers in the world. It was really, really cool. And at that point, so here's here's kind of a funny, funny sideline of that thing is uh, he recommended I start a podcast. Now, for those listeners that are listening to this awesome podcast, podcast started in any idea what year, Tommy, when they started? I don't want to put you on the spot. But... It was an Apple event. And I'm going to say it was like 2011, maybe. OK, OK. So I, look, I just Googled it this morning in 2004. The first one, the concept came about, however. You're right. It wasn't until about 2011 that it became more mainstream. So when they brought this podcast idea to me, I'm like, what are you talking about? What's a podcast? I, I didn't even know. But I went forward with it anyway and ended up interviewing. Uh, it was sweet. We, we interviewed on our show uh, the current vice president of Burger King North America at the time, um, uh, the CFO of 7-Eleven stores and, and a lot of big names. But um, in two, this was in 2008. Uh, there just wasn't a market for podcasts yet. It was tough. It was a tough, tough thing, but it was fun. I can say, Hey, I was one of the first podcast guys, <laughs> even, even though I didn't continue it at that time. So part, back to my story, I, I had a friend that said, Hey, uh, my father-in-law wants to sell this business. It's a cash cow. Uh, they've been doing it 20 years. It was a commercial parking lot sweeping and pressure wash company and a company that would stripe the lines of the parking lots and stuff. So totally different than what I was doing. So we checked into that and and got a good deal on that business. And I thought, well, business is business. Uh, I'll jump into this thing with him. And doing the math here, so we we bought that in 2007, late 2007. So I had some overlap of, of my consulting career and then buying this company. We grew it by 28% uh, in the first year. And this was an established business. So we were we were outperforming our, our performance. And then the crash of 2008 happened. Well, guess, guess who the majority, well, 100% actually of our business was, were companies like Walmarts, business buildings, uh, strip malls. And we would go sweep those parking lots anywhere from three to seven nights a week. And as you know, that is the industry that took it hard. There were yeah. vacancies and they could not, you know, businesses were going out of business all over the place. And so our business dropped uh, almost in half. And so that was, that's another war story for another time, but that was brutal. Uh, however, 
I stayed in it. My partner bailed and he got out clean. Unfortunately, I was the one that did the personal guarantee on the loan. And here we were uh, with, with this huge, uh, huge loan with these guys that we did a you know, cash plus loan deal. And I had to spend eight years just crawling and clawing my way out of that thing because it was, it was brutal. That took a long time for the real estate market to bounce back. So I learned a lot of other lessons. In fact, I sat down with my bank uh, and showed them my financials one day. This was kind of toward the end. And they said, I don't understand how you've been in business for the last four years, because based on these numbers, you should have been out of business four years ago, which to me was a big pat on the back, right? I'm like, well, I'm a fighter. I don't stop. I make things happen. And uh, I had 30 employees all of them adults with families that I was not ready to let go out on the street without a job. And I just was fighting tooth and nail to get that, to keep that in play. And, uh, but we ended up uh, like many successful people. Uh, we had to bankrupt that thing, but I, I was glad that I spent four years, uh, so to speak in business when I shouldn't have been right. It, it, it taught me a lot. So then from there, I moved back to Salt Lake. Uh, I was hired as a um, as an interim CEO uh, or president of a company called Roxbury Smoothies. Uh, guy reached out to me and said, hey, you know, come teach me what you did with Jamba Juice. And uh, I spent a short period of time with them, turn help them turn the corner on, on that and introduce a lot of the things that helped save my business. Uh, and, and then uh, this opportunity came up and here I am. So awesome. it's been a, it's been a road of uh, some extremely high highs and <laughs> extremely low lows, but I'm a fighter and, and now I'm doing this and, and, and uh, speaking at events and teaching people and, and sharing people, sharing with people what I'm currently working on now, my big initiative. You ready for the big initiative? Yeah, let's hear it. So um, I have found is one of the questions uh, that you have is what's the one thing that you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't. Yeah. I believe that there's so many restaurants, so many people in the hospitality business, so many people that even own any kind of a retail location where they need to drive business in and build their, build their uh, sales and profits. There's training out there, but it's, to me, not the proper training, not the best training ever. And so I've been pulling together the best training ever from real life, you know, 25 years and more years of experience in the trenches, doing this stuff on a daily basis, sharing with people what to look out for, how, how to start choosing anything from how to choose real estate for your location, all the way to how to sell a business and get out if you need to, or how to just make it purr like a kitten. And uh, so that's my big initiative now. And first part of next year, going to be launching uh, a course that addresses all those things from how to hire and train and keep employees, which is a huge problem right now for most restaurants, very challenging, and how to market your business uh, and, and how, to, how to do what they signed up to do, right? Live that dream. That's awesome. Are you going to sell it to individuals or are you going to try to sell it through like uh, franchisors? All the above. So, so I've got it designed to where, you know, I still, um, still am for hire as a, as a speaker at like annual conventions that companies have 
as a keynote or uh, doing workshops like I've been doing. Uh, but also I'm going to sell it. It will be available for individuals. It will be available uh, to where we can kind of tailor it to a franchise company that, and one of the things that, that, that I'm excited about is I've been a franchisee. I, uh, I've been on the franch franchisor side a little bit during my career, but I understand both sides, Tommy. And so what I've developed is, is if it is a franchise company, I'm able to speak to the franchisees as a, as a franchisee and say, look, you know, I, I own my own restaurant now. I've, I've done it before. I've been where you are at whatever phase you are in your business. I've experienced it um, from the lows to the highs. And I always teach these uh, the, the, the people that I'm working with how important the relationship is with the franchisor. Because a lot of times we expect the franchise company to do it all for us. But as soon as I realized that it was up to me to make it happen, even though I had a franchise brand, I had a model that worked, I had the tools that they provided, Tommy, that's just where it starts, dude, right? I mean, we yeah. need to take it as a franchisor. We need to take it. We need to play nicely with our franchisor, realize, hey, they're giving us the basics, but we need to do the day-to-day -day and build our own neighborhoods and our own trade areas. And once people get to that mentality of working that symbiotic relationship with the franchisor, everything runs smoother and is just more successful. Well, and you know, that's what we, you know, that's what a lot of people would say to us when I worked at corporate at Quiznos was, dude, I give you 4% for the ad fund. Why don't I have any customers? And you're like, well, you don't have any customers because your restaurant's not clean. You don't have any customers because, you know, you're not out local store marketing. You're not out supporting the local baseball team. You're not out like doing the work. Like that yep. 4% is to give you, is to make, give you to be a part of a national brand yep. and you're going to get 12 events a year or three events or four events a year where there'll be national advertising, which you can never do and yep. big promotions to bring people in. But you know, on any given Monday, you better be doing two for one on your own. You know what I mean? To That's get right people into the building that's right and as soon as people take 100 percent ownership and you know instead of looking at the the franchise relationship as a 50 50 partnership um and 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 they and we or they we all realize hey you know what uh it's 100 percent up to me i bought the i brought bought the rights to the brand the recipes the yeah. you know the layout of the store the menus and the, the you know some of the marketing but it's 100% up to me on a daily basis to make this particular location work. And, and we've just got to do it. And, I, and I, I've seen it time and time again where people kind of make that mental switch and then they execute on that. And uh, I was working with a, a guy, a franchise owner. Chick-fil-A's model is not really a franchise model. But, yeah. but the, the guy that, that was co-partner in, in, a, in a location here. Worked with this guy. I knew him back from the Jamba Juice days. Great, great guy. And he 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 hired me to come in and work with his team. And we just did a, a simple breakfast initiative when Chick-fil-A was rolling out their breakfast uh, menu. And they were able to increase their their uh, top line by 34%. Um, and he won some national award for it. It was really cool. But it's just because he had a marketing person that went out and sampled the biscuits and, and went to all the businesses that would, that, where the people would be coming from during lunchtime and a simple thing, you know, they gave out some free product 
and let people be aware they're going to be serving breakfast and boom. So sometimes it, it doesn't take a ton to make a big impact. People just don't know what to do and they're waiting for the franchisor to do it for them. Big mistake. Yeah. Big mistake. Well, and at the end of the day, you're the one that will go out of business. Like the franchisor will survive, right? Yeah. And you will go out of business and you'll, your life will be massively impacted negatively, you know? And, and it's like, yeah, I, I, one thing I noticed at Quiznos and, and I get this, like, and I think Quiznos was, is, you know, I, I, so my first job at Quiznos was I ran the franchise assistance program. Right. So I, yeah. I met with all the franchisees and this was in 08 during the downturn. I met with all the franchisees. They would call me and go, Hey, I need like money for rent. I'd be like, well, we're not, we can't do that. Like, you know, yeah, that's not our thing. <laughs> that's not a thing. No. Yeah. <laughs> but like the people, like the thing was people got so disillusioned with that relationship. Right. And so then they just like, it was almost like a kid. Like my, my son's like spending too much time on screens these days. And then he got caught watching screens when he wasn't supposed to be. And it was because we told him he can't watch him like during the beginning of the week, you know? Yeah. And so he's like, well, if you hadn't told me not to watch screens and I would have never done it. It's like, that's almost, Oh my like, God. Such a kid rationale, you know? Yeah. But it's like, what are we, the babysitter, you know? <laughs> But then like, that's how these franchisees are too. Well, if you're not going to come down here and manage this store and run it for me and do a bunch of local store marketing, which they never promised to do, then, you know, well, then I'm just not going to clean my restaurant. I'll show you, you know, I'm not going to do anything. Okay, fine. Don't do anything. Like you're going to go out of business and have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and we'll just resell your location to somebody else. So it's like they, people get this very childish, emotional relationship with the franchisor in some cases, in the Quiznos case, that was it, you know, and they just, it was this weird, it was this very weird thing. There's so many emotions and not enough logical business decisions being made in the Quiznos world during that time. But I get it because these people were losing their butts and they were losing their dreams and they just, they just got disillusioned. But which I would also segue into, if you're going to buy a franchise, first of all, the franchisor is selling you a franchise. So they're going to give you references to the best franchisees that are making all the money, right? You need to go find, you need to go drive to other franchises, the ones they didn't tell you to go talk to, right? You need to go and check out restaurants. You know, you got to go like check out the restaurants. You got to sit down and understand what is the franchisor's motivation? What are their incentives? What are your right. incentives? How do you work with each other? Because if you just listen to that sales guy, he's good. Just like any other sales guy is going to tell you, this is the best franchise. This is the best car in the world. Yeah, whatever, of course. You right? want the commission. Yeah, exactly. Because he's working on a commission. So if you're going to buy a franchise, the, I would say the biggest thing you need to do is understand how does the franchisor make money? And then how does the franchisee make money, right? Because yeah. like at Quiznos, they made more money on selling the food than they did on the restaurant sales. That's so right. that's bad, you know, that's not what yeah. you want. That's not a good model. You want a model where the franchisor makes money when the stores make money and they're fully invested in making sure that the stores make money. Exactly. You know? So Tommy, just I want to throw in here. I was I was meeting uh, years ago with a company, uh, a big. Um, I'm not going to give the company away because of what the statistic is. Uh, it blew me away, but it was it was an ice cream company that had retail locations, about 600 stores at the time, 
and we were talking about training and I was doing some training with them. And this woman said to me, she was one of the top brass. I don't remember her position, but she said, you know, here's one thing we know. 30% or 40% of our franchisees are going to be successful regardless because they come in, they, they know the business, they, they, they've done it before, or they just have what it takes. They take that hundred percent mentality, 40%. There's another 30% that are willing to learn and they're willing to do what it takes. They just need some direction. Those are the people, Todd, that you can help and influence to be better. Then there's another 30% that will not be successful regardless. They just won't make it because they won't, they won't buy into the franchise model of the symbiotic relationship. And we just know they're always going to be struggling. And I was so floored by that comment that a franchisor would say that, but it made me really think over the years of just solidifying how important it is that whether we're a franchise business or a singly, you know, run restaurant, whatever business it is, if we have to point the finger to ourselves and say, it's 100% up to me with a franchise company, like we've said, not to beat it to death, but we've got to have a symbiotic relationship and see it, what it, see it for what it is, what they provide, and then what we need to provide. And what we provide is a heck of a lot more labor intensive on a daily basis. But, yeah. just, but we got to own it, dude. We got to own it. We got to, we got to just get out and crush it. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of this too, like the whole point of owning a franchise is you're not wasting time thinking the big things through, right? That's yep. why you buy a franchise because you say, I'm going to be the most effective operator there can be. So I don't have to, I don't have to invest you know, half a million dollars in a, in a test kitchen and seven chefs that are going to go there and dream up the next chicken sandwich for me. That's what the franchisor is doing. The franchisee's job is to run the most efficient locations that they can possibly do. And yep. so then, you know, and so you should be looking at how do I grow? How do I get my accounting in place? How do I get my HR in place? How do I build a funnel of recruits, you know, benefits, all those things, real estate, all the things that go around with actually just operating the business. And you don't have to think about anything else because they're thinking about it all. That's what you're buying is somebody that's going to go out and spend billion dollars to go find the next, you know, crazy sandwich or the next crazy thing. And then you just have to execute that. That's all you got to do. And I mean, I work with some franchisees that have 200 plus locations of like yum restaurants which means they're yeah 200 that that's a like uh, uh you know 200 pizza huts and taco bells is a 250 million dollar a year business you know what i mean this is not this is a huge company you know what i mean yes that's so pizza and tacos it's crazy yeah no it's amazing and uh those those people definitely get it obviously that's why they're so successful um yeah. it's the whiners and the complainers and the victims the people that play the victim mentality of man, I got sold this dream and it's not a dream. It's a nightmare. Yeah. It's that victim mentality, Tommy, that's going to fail every time. Well, and and so, like, you, you were failing and I'm sure it was hard. Like in your Jamba juices, you weren't making any money. And then you kept opening the stores. <laughs> you know? I know. You said, I did hey, because I'm going to figure this out. There's no, like, that's right. 
that's yeah. that's my mo you know it's like hey i've got i've got someone else's money on the line uh, i have to make this work yeah. and i've done it in 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 you know those two two main businesses i talked to you about uh it's just it has we've just got to do it if it's going to be it's going it's up to me you know that cute little trite saying but it's true um and and it it it's hard it, we have to dig deep on some days tommy i mean the day-to-day grind is brutal the yeah. restaurant business is brutal uh, during this COVID bullcrap stuff, it's brutal. Supply chain is- issues, it's tough. But you know what? We just gotta, we've got to dig deep and we have to just get and harness whatever we can pull out and stay positive for our employees. Because during trying times, if we're moping in, you know, and attitude or that victim attitude, it, it goes all the way from us down to the GM, to the, to the ship and then you're dead you're dead yeah it's over well and- you have to fake it till we make it you got to fake it sometimes and i i can't tell you how many days i've had to fake it tommy especially when i when i you know was in half a million in debt and 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 still having to put money in just to make payroll on some some occasions it was terrifying absolutely terrifying but i yeah. i i dug deep and just pulled through and relied on on other people wherever i could get any kind of <laughs> encouragement and uh that's another thing we need to be friends with people in in the business that can help get us through those hard times absolutely i mean there were you know when we started this business like my business partner and i we bootstrapped this thing we took money that we had made in our previous company and we invested into this business and you know i mean you, you know like i tell people i own an app and they're like, they look at you like, you want an app? Like, really? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what you do? Like, that's okay, sure. Okay, Mr. App, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, where's your it happens to be the most. It happens to be the most effective, efficient app and necessary app you can possibly have in the restaurant industry. I love, I, I love your app. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. But it's like, there were dark days, man. Like we had like a big franchisee at one point, like we didn't have that much revenue coming in. We started this business in 2015 with $30 a month in revenue, like 30, like, you know, and we didn't rent, we, we put our own money in, we did sweat equity and we ran our own money. We don't have any investors and we just, you know, clawed and like, just, I mean, like you said, they were dark days, man. Oh, I know. We can can spend hours commiserating. I believe it. I I know it's like I almost get a pit in my stomach just hearing what you're saying, Tommy, because I hear you. I feel you, man. I really do. But you made it. You've you've made it. You're making it. You're you're doing what it takes because you're not a victim, bro. You're a champion. But just for you guys out there, like when you know you can go out and get a job that pays, you know, you know, real money. And you're like, what am I doing to myself? You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Um, we bounced all over this place today. So we know what your history is. We know what your big project and initiative is. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? The one thing keeping me up at night is it's going to sound strange, but it's, but what's always on my mind is how can I avoid the, the negative Google reviews or the, the one person that's not happy. I'm at the point where we've got so much momentum going and it comes down to employees. I think that uh, the employee is the good employee is a key to the business because they're the ones 
either executing or not executing. That's what keeps me up at night is making sure that I always have the best staff. You know, we take it home with us. We think about it. We, we stay, stay up at night trying to figure out um, that piece of it. You know, how, how can we just develop and, and keep the best team possible? There's so yeah. many people out there unemployed, but yet there's so many jobs, job openings everywhere. I am anyway, every restaurant has a now hiring. I'm looking at one right now, little Caesars apply imply, and start today. $12 plus an hour. That's huh. right next door to me. You know what my average, uh, I would say that my people are, my average is probably 10 to 11 bucks an hour. Sure. My shift, uh, my, my top, top six people out of 30 employees is, is at that 12 bucks. But people will leave me to go work somewhere else. And uh, if it's just because they think they can find a better job, uh, a good half of them end up coming back asking for their job back because it's the culture. And yeah. so how can you improve your culture to where your, your employees don't look at it as a fast food gig? They look at it as, as, a, as a great experience, a great place to go spend eight hours of your day if you have to work work at this place because it's great well great energy so much about culture too so i found that when i was in charge of building culture like at a restaurant the biggest thing that i found that worked for me personally with my management style was just being super appreciative of everybody and then also like just you know we were telling that we were telling the corporate line you know on everything but just being like no this is the like just explaining the why and just being so thankful for people, but living it, like you have to lead by example, right? Yes. Um, but if you can lead by example and no, this is why we do this. And thank you so much for working so hard today. We really appreciate it. Like that's all people want, man. They just want to feel appreciated, you know? Uh, yep. I make sure Tommy that, that when I, I make sure that when I'm in, in the restaurant that, you know, if there's, if there's like eight people working, I'm pulling at least three aside when I see them doing something well and just say, Hey, I just want you to know I'm, I'm, I've been watching you and you're doing this, this particular thing. So great. I'm so, so grateful you're here, man. And, and you're yeah. exactly right. What you just said, I think does not happen enough. We need to give out the positives and not wait. I always tell my managers and my shift leads, I said, Hey, your job is not to critique and criticize uh, people when they do something wrong. That's, that's number two. Your number one is to give them a hoorah, you know, get them excited, uh, motivate and compliment them. I said, if you can compliment them three times, uh, legitimately, sincerely, before you have to call them, pull them aside and say, Hey, you know what? You're not doing this correctly. You got to do it, do it this way. They will listen to you 100 times more after you've complimented them. Doesn't it? Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Like, the problem with the restaurant industry too, well, just another, it's part of this industry, but like, especially like this happens in GMs a lot from like corporate people is, you know, their whole review is the last thing that somebody saw that was wrong. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you guys really biffed your labor last week. And so then they get their review and it's like, oh, your labor was way off. Well, no, it was off one week. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we had a rough week, you know, we had six trainees, you know, of course our labor was off or whatever. It, yeah. So it's just, Ultimately, if you if you have a good culture in your restaurant, people are generally going to stay longer. That's just yep. it. because because, you know, like you said, they're going to go somewhere else and then they're going to get there and they're going to find out that the, everyone's a jerk and they're going to come right back. 
Yeah, that happened uh, three weeks ago with a, with an employee. It was awesome. <laughs> um, it's well, payday. Cool. Well, I kind of think we've hit everything. I have one more question, but I think yep. I already know what your answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask it. Anyway. Yeah. It's my new sixth question that I've been kind of throwing in here. Throw Boil it, it down. What is the number one top thing that goes into running a successful hospitality business? You know what? It's a thousand little things done done well, but as, as you'd agree. But for me, it's the attitude and everything we've been talking about about the attitude and the culture of the entire business. Making yep. sure that we get buy-in from every single person on our team, from the person that comes in and cuts my onion rings from scratch three days a week and dips them in the double dip batter. To the person on the front line, it's everybody. We need that buy-in to the culture that we create. Yep, that's what everyone said so far. Only one person hasn't said culture, but I just don't think he understood the question really. Well, sweet, I passed. Nice. Okay. Yeah. No, but it's so true. And so, for everyone who's listening, if you don't know um, how to build a culture. I would suggest that you could obviously read some books, but I think it's just really being authentic and, you know, uh, it's being authentic to yourself and to the business that you want to have and, and not being embarrassed about, you know, not being embarrassed, not being like, Oh, I'm sorry. You're on fries today. No, get on fries, man. We make more like whatever it is that you need to do to get people like interested or motivated, but it's just, it's culture is about, it's like honesty, I think, in a way, you know, and being just true to the business. You know, we are a company, you know, you think you're just serving fries, but you're serving 80% of our profits come off fries and sodas. You know what I mean? So you're right. You're right. The most important job in our business is making sure that soda fountain's ready to go and making sure that these fries are coming out hot because those two items account for 60% of our profits. So you're not on fries and you're a loser. You're on the most profitable part of our business. And we sell hamburgers and shakes so that we can sell more fries. That's you know? right. That's right. And how about taking uh, You're hundred percent, right? How about taking that fry guy when it's busy out to the lobby and say, I want you to just sit and watch these people eat their fries for a second without yeah. staring at them. Every yeah. single look at that family. What a good time there. You're helping create experiences, Tommy. Right. You're not just a fry guy. You're creating experiences and memories. And that that those that couple over there, look, they're looking at each other all googly eyed and they're eating French fries. You yeah. know, it's it's you know what I mean? It's that that's where I would take it even a step further yeah. is, is is just just getting them to see the look on the people's face when they eat that guy's fries. Right. <laughs> Yep, and making sure that they understand how their role impacts the business. You know, yep. if you don't ever explain the why of anything, then it's just an annoying thing that you as a jerk are making me do. Oh, you, Mr. Jerk Boss makes me wipe everything up. No, I make you yeah. wipe everything up so we don't get a health violation or worse, we get somebody sick, right? Like, you know, like, why do I make you check the bathroom? Because we know statistically that bathrooms uh represent the kitchen and if, a, if you go to a dirty bathroom people won't come back as much like 
all of these things that we ask people to do. Why do we have to thaw the burger patties or whatever? It's so we don't have such a long drive-through line because cook times are too long that people just drive by. Like everything that we do, there is a why behind it that affects the speed of service, the sales or the customer satisfaction. And if you can explain that to people, right? This is why this is an important thing to check all the way to the music, right? You know, having oh, yeah. that, like that music in the background, you know, like I worked at a mall and you know, the malls pump in music, uh, you know, like, like all over the mall, there was music pumped in and it was just, it was like really good songs that were catchy. Like, you know, it's that like cheesy music, you know, but that stuff, there's like science behind that. It gets people feeling good. They start to like, oh, wow, they want to spend more money. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's everything that we do has a why behind it. And, and if you're trying to build a culture, part of that culture should be explaining the why, what you're doing is important, how it affects the business, how it affects, um, you know, how it affects the business, how it affects the bottom line, how, you know, you're contributing and then own that we are a business. We're here to make money. And that when we make money as a company, that you see some of that money, whether it be that we start buying everyone shift meals or we can get health insurance, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, all these things that they want, like, this is a, you know, yeah. I just think we have to, I think that like popular culture is defined working in restaurants a certain way. And it's incumbent upon restaurant owners, uh, to, to explain that, that, you know, this isn't a loser job. This is your part of a multi-million dollar a year business that is, um, you know, that employs X amount of people and does this much stuff. You know what I mean? This is a real thing that you're a part of and you're, you're a vital right. part of it. You're absolutely right. You know, um, I, I'm very transparent with numbers with a lot of my employees, especially the managers and the shift leaders. I'm like, look, you, you might think that, uh, you know, I'm making millions of dollars a year because we're always so busy here. Yeah. But let me just give you an idea on some of our expenses. So our food cost goes immediately right out the door uh, of, of, you know, X amount. Our rent alone. How many houses could you buy with the amount of money I'm putting in rent? What kind of a house could you buy? And when I put it into those numbers, I'm able to follow that up with every, every uh, milkshake we screw up is a couple couple bucks out of out of you know my pocket every and that ends up affecting you and I always bring it back to them just like you did so eloquently Tommy where you just said hey you know this this affects you in a good way a lot of the the profit that we make you know a good chunk can come back to you in the form of a raise or a bonus or uh shifting yeah. so I just I think transparency uh we don't need to hide what we make and, and don't make but it, it it makes them feel important like they're part of the business yep and you know the biggest thing too is i don't know if you're looking at are you going to open more stores yeah i'm, I'm possibly doing uh, doing another one i was uh i actually in all transparency was uh going to, to do one about a year ago but we were still in the middle of covid we were right in the middle of the election sure and uh i just had a gut my the gut check was hold off so yeah I've learned enough over the years uh, that timing is important and I'm not in a huge rush. Sure. I'm in a happy place. I'm an empty nester, man. All my kids, five kids are out of the house. I got three grandkids that came came to us last year. 
Wow. I'm in a great phase of life, Tommy. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to. client once, and, and he was like a partner in like 12 Zaxby's. And, yeah. But then he was like the COO of these 12 Zaxby's. But then like he and his partners, like ran a deal, and he was just going to take on two of them. But they were two of the highest profit. He's like, dude, I'm going to like triple my salary from just running these two stores and not having to deal with all these other headaches. Isn't that like, interesting? Yeah. 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 Part of the problem with being an entrepreneur is we can't sit still. And sometimes we like, we can't, um, we end up complicating things. We end up complicating our lives with all these opportunities because when you're an entrepreneur, like a good one that can, that can execute, people are always come to you with opportunities. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes we can get ourselves into a position where, you know, I wish I could just settle down and just enjoy the phase of life I'm in currently and not be looking at the next four things, you know? Yeah. But that's also what, you know, it's, it's the yin and the yang of that coin. You know what I mean? So if you got one store that's cranking out coin and you can like got a good team in place, sometimes it's just better to sit back and enjoy that for a phase, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, if we're not being, if we're not able to enjoy the money we work so hard for, what's the point? Exactly. You know, yeah, for me, to, it's traveling. I just want to be at a beach every three months. Oh, I just got back from Switzerland and France a month ago. Oh, okay. I think, so, you, were in, I think you went to France too, didn't you? Yeah, I was in France. I was in Normandy and Paris, but we were literally looking to go to Switzerland this year. And then there's a place called, uh, Stengelwort in Austria, but Austria is closed down right now, but they'll be open by the summer. But it's like this amazing like resort in Austria that we are trying to get to. So I was literally looking at flights to Zurich and Geneva the other day, trying to figure out how I can pull that off. Let's how say, was Switzerland? Was it amazing? Let's go, let's go have a business meeting there, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go with you. No, Switzerland was absolutely amazing. France was amazing as well. Uh, I, I took two full weeks off. Restaurant ran without any problems, which was nice um, because I built the team and 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 uh, we had an amazing time. It was oh, it was great. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, yeah, I just want my kids. Like that's all I want to do is just travel with my kids and show them the world, so that when they're older, they'll appreciate travel and want to enjoy hang out. The, enjoy the fruits of your labors, man. Exactly. Well. Uh, it was wonderful having you on the show today and Todd, and uh, I will put a link to uh, your location um, so people can come by and check it out. Great. And then also send me some, send me the info over on the, uh, on the training program and everything. So I can get that in the show notes as well. Yeah, for sure. And people can look me up uh, on LinkedIn, Todd Woods uh, on LinkedIn. So, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll send that over for the notes. Cool, man. So thank you guys for listening to the order up show and we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tommy. It's been, been a pleasure. Awesome, man.